This is Jello Chow Chow, the all Jello show. If you even think of hanging up or leaving the room for a scotch, we will murder you. Now listen, Green Creeperson and the Phantom Eric and Chris want to take you on a ride through dark alleys and bright rooms, long stairways, and backstage at the art gallery. If you want to live, you'll don your black gloves and join them for the ride. Chow chow, assholes. Welcome to Assholes. Chow, chow. <laughs> Did you say apples? Not apple. apple. <laughs> uh, the All Jello Show, where tonight we're going to be talking about the case of the Scorpion's Tail. I am Cree Creeperson, hello. And with me is Chris from Jello Score. Hey, what's happening, yeah, everybody? And the Phantom Eric from the Boiler Room. That's right. And we're going to solve that case tonight. We the better. The case of the Boiler Room? Yes. The case of all those topless men on your wall? It's actually <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty simple case to solve. I just, um, I'm just obsessed with topless men. <laughs> Who isn't? Especially when they get a little oiled up. Yeah, I got a picture right here of King Kong Bundy with nothing on. Oiled uh-huh. up. Yeah. <laughs> That's all man. Even I know. Even I know that one. Ooh. And that this was that... after the gastric bypass. Oh, so it's all flappy and. Yeah, that's he lost awesome. all his marketability after that. Yeah, now he just has a bunch of yeast infections all over his flaps. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he wasn't the guy who bit the turnbuckle, right? Wasn't that George the Animal uh, Steel? George the Animal Steel. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, was George the one with like the blue tongue or something? Green Tongue. Green Tongue? He played, okay. played Tor Johnson and Ed Wood. Oh, okay. I never saw Ed Wood. Oh, you're a jerk. I know, that is right? amazing movie. leave now and go watch it. All right, see ya. <laughs> Welcome to Ed Wood Chow Chow, the all-Ed Wood show. Let's, let's not devolve into that. Yeah. Um, it would help our professionality if that's a word, because we're about as pro as one of his movies. But, um, yeah, so how have you guys been? It's been like a whole two weeks and a day. It sure has. Feels weird. Yeah, it does. I've got that Tuesday feeling, if you know what I mean. Yep. (laughs) It means it's Margaritaville in the freaking boiler room. (laughs) Just looking for that last shaker of salt. Oh, that's good. 
Oh, you know, I've been keeping, uh, keeping busy, staying out of trouble. You went camping. Yeah, going camping, unable to start fires, just uh, totally emasculating myself in front of my wife. Did she start the fire? Again? Yeah, she had to start the fire. It was really embarrassing. Everyone it was, was always walking. burning since the world's been turning. Yeah. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, um, about a week ago, we had a fire out in the fire pit, and it took me forever to get it going, and then Zoe came out and did something, and it was burning. And that, I had to say that I started it. Is that you that started those wildfires, then? No. <laughs> Unless concrete catches on fire, because um, <laughs> our backyard looks like some, like, weird third world eastern block country no offense to our eastern block listeners but it's just like concrete and concrete and then some more concrete okay. and some concrete so i was thinking about that it's like the fires you never want to start are always the easiest house fires forest fires kitchen fires yeah i think i pissed off some people because i was sitting there for like an hour trying to get this fire going and I'm like, how the fuck does an idiot burn down his fucking house? This is like the hardest fucking thing to do in the world. It is. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Looks like uh, so Chris, I, Chris is up to no good over there. Well, yeah, because I sent him um, some death metal song, and he never responded back to me. Yes, I know. It, I, got, I got so um, busy with a whole bunch of stuff, but you sent it. It was really cool, actually. I like the vocals a lot. Vocals are cool. Oh, thanks for making me look good in front of all the listeners and stuff. I appreciate it. No problem. Yeah. Well, for me, I had an adventure last weekend. Um, my wife talked me into going to uh, have a session in a sensory deprivation tank. Oh, <laughs> a tank. In a float tank, yeah, I went to a, went went for a float tank session, and it was pretty interesting. There's a place out in New Jersey that's not far from us, um, and it's not one of those like space pod coffin capsule things because I don't think I would be able to get in one of those. This one was more like a really oversized bathtub with a door that's that was a really heavy door that slid sideways, um, and there were like buttons right to your right of your fingertip that you could easily just kind of with the easiest amount of pressure just touch and the lights would come on and um, so they really had it set up so that you wouldn't freak out um, and I tried not to freak out and I did a pretty good job um, <laughs> but uh, it was pretty cool like I I didn't know what to expect and I had done a lot of um, research and I had listened and I listened to like Joe Rogan talk about what he does when he gets in the float tank and how much like pot brownies he eats before he goes in and I didn't do that but um, <laughs> uh, I didn't really know what to do once I was in there I'm like what am I supposed to do now and so I'm like am I really just gonna float here for an hour and um, the next thing I know the hour was up but I had spent a lot of time just either trying to um, keep myself occupied uh, in my brain or just doing some like I don't know, like some breathing meditation or whatever, and then and then it was time. Like they, when your time is up, they just turn the water on. They don't turn the water on. I'm sorry. They turn the lights on, 
and they bring some like gong sound to like wake you up. So it was pretty interesting. It it's supposed to be really relaxing, and I think maybe t for the last ten minutes or so it was, and um, because of all the salt that's in the bath, it's it's very uh, good for your muscles and muscle soreness and whatnot. Um, and then when I got out, uh, my wife, uh, she comes out, and I'm like, well, what do you think? She's like, well, you know, it was it was really weird for the first five minutes, and then I was just gone. And I'm like, it only took you five minutes to get used to, like, being in that tank in the complete darkness, and, you know, you have How your long in. What's that? How long were you in for? Well, the, the normal session is, like, an hour, um, but if it's your first time, they give you, like, an extra 15 minutes because they figure that you're going to have some some time to try and just get used to being in there. So, but it really did, it is like, the guy was like, yeah, it's really like a time machine because you have no sense of what's going on. And, and once you get used to no light, no sound, and the fact that the water and the air and your body are all kind of the same temperature, you kind of disassociate yourself from your body um, and you can kind of just feel like you're floating like a disembodied kind of spirit out in space. That didn't really happen <laughs> for me because uh, I kept um, embodying myself by turning the light back on and uh, all that other stuff. But uh, I would like to try it again now that um, I didn't. Now that I know kind of what to expect, it was a pretty interesting experience. But um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think of anything Jalo related while I was in there. So did you, know. you pee in the in the float tank? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> No. Did you feel like Sigourney Weaver? It was really weird. Like I hadn't watched uh, the Altered States movie, um, but I, I I heard that that's like the you know you don't watch that if you're going to go into one of those tanks because it, it it turns out bad I think in in that film. But uh, well, in Fringe they do it too, and it's kind of scary. Oh really? Yeah, no, I didn't yeah. watch Fringe. Um, I just want to make a comment real quick. <clears throat> For those of uh, you watching live, if you would like to join our conversation about Chris peeing in the bathtub, uh, <laughs> the Q&A app or the question and answer thing, because that's the only thing that we have access to look at right now. All right. Uh, one other thing that I'd like to bring up is... Um, Sorry for spending maybe a little too much time on, on float tanking, but I know they're pretty big in L.A., um, so I don't know if you've seen the, these centers pop up uh, anywhere, Creep, near where you're at, but uh, supposedly they're catching on like a pretty pretty big thing over there. The only thing that's over here every two minutes is uh, marijuana shots. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So I was... Um, somewhere. I'm doing some house cleaning. One of the things that I'm supposed to be doing while my family is away is straightening up the house a little bit because I don't have to, I don't really have any distractions other than work and this podcast. So um, I went through DVDs and um, I was amazed. At how much porn you have. No, I was amazed that I found next week's oh. uh, movie. Right here. I think this one's next week, or do we have a tie still? Seven what deaths. Is cat, this I think the, seven I think deaths. The egg one is, is next, but yeah, look at that. Seven deaths in a cat's eye. Chris is holding it up. But the other thing I think we want to do because I'm so 
completely detached from DVDs these days. Um, I know that some people like them from a collector standpoint. Um, I found, let's see, a good number of Jolly that I think we should we should probably talk about maybe off offline. Talk about maybe doing a contest and giving away some of these because I don't really have uh, a use that for them. Amazing. I mean, I got Phenomena. Am I eligible? I got Strange Vice. They're all no, no Blu-rays. I got uh, Deep Red. I got Seven Bloodstained Orchids. I got uh, Case of Bloody Iris. Yeah, um, I got a ton, man. I got. Uh, let's see, anything good here? The one we're doing tonight. There we go. I got uh, Fifth Chord. And oh, I got Spasmo. Ooh, I like that. Where did where did you find a lot of these? Because I know a lot of them are out of print. Did you just get them when they were still running? Yeah, I, I got them when they were in print, like this one. You can't find this anymore. This is so long. Oh. Uh, the the yeah, the widescreen shriek show version of Solange. Now these are all obviously uh, region one. Um, the only one that's a bootleg I bought off eBay is the Bloodstained Butterfly. Mm. Somebody somebody just took the the whatever international version that they could find and put it on a CDR or a DVDR and sold it. So this is not really this is just crap, you know. Um, we should go give that away because that's awesome. Yeah. So um, paperweights. How much fun! We could yeah. do giveaways every week. The tarantula. Great movie. <laughs> oh, and I even have a Blade in the Dark and Macabre double feature. Drive-in <laughs> double feature. Can I tell you guys a story? Yeah. Please. I think I brought it up on the show before. Um, I used to work at a drive-in in my hometown of Litchfield, Minnesota. And it was recently put up on Facebook that the guy can no longer run it and he is going to go try and sell it. And if no one takes it, he's just going to have he's just going to sell off all the equipment and then they're going to level it, probably turn it into a parking lot. Ooh. How cool would that be if you could just Are you going to get it? All three maybe all three of us together <clears throat> go in on it. Get this drive in and then we could screen Jello movies every weekend. Well, that would require me to come to Minnesota more. Well, yeah, you've been here before. And, yeah, and, I have. And most of our audience is either in England or Australia. Well, right? I got some extra rooms in my house. <laughs> be fine. Um, I think Brian's in Chicago. Yeah, you can just. Yeah, that's true. Have to, to screen it for like three months out of the year because the rest of the year all the screens are covered in snow. And, all right. You know, um, yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, gosh, that would be so How cool. How much does he want for it? 70k. Go to the bank, dude. Get a loan. Small business like loan? For collateral while your wife's not. <laughs> if, I was, if I was more than just four years into my current 30-year mortgage, I might think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a ways to go before I'm ready to take another <clears throat> straddle some more debt. I was just thinking, like, how cool would it be to watch um, The Shining at the drive-in in a snowstorm? Ooh. Oh, that'd be Especially awesome. It was like an unexpected snowstorm. Yeah. Wrapped. Well, interestingly enough, the, uh, the one that's near me, and by near I mean probably about 45 minutes to an hour, they're doing, I don't know if it's this weekend, but pretty soon they're doing um, 
Friday the 13th marathon at the wow. drive-in. So oh. that would be so cool to go see. Yeah, yeah the and one I, that this guy runs, it's just all new movies, like yeah. the Jurassic World and stuff. But yeah, it'd be really cool to get a an old-style drive-in going. Yeah, these guys, I mean, awesome. they did this thing in Philly, and they just joined forces with this place, this drive-in, I guess for the summer. Uh, or just you know the, the the warm weather months, and they've been doing crazy stuff. They they uh, they did Suspiria one night, um, and uh, they did the kinds of lots of other things like '80s movies and stuff. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But I haven't been out there yet, so you know, I can only well, speculate on how awesome it is. Drive-ins are always awesome, almost as awesome as making a case out of the tail of a scorpion. That is what we call a transition in the podcasting business. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> so I'd love um, to see George Hilton on the big screen. Uh, he's not the Ooh. first person I would want to see that big. But <laughs> he ranks up there. He's up there. Um, so yeah, tonight we're doing um, Case of the Scorpion's Tale, and this was Chris's pick that got a landslide of votes. Um, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about this gem and the holograms? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yes, it was my pick. And uh, I think I picked it simply because um, I was waiting patiently to do another... Um, do another Sergio Martino film. Excuse me, I'm not entirely prepared, so I'm doing this off the cuff. I just wanted to look up and see. Um, so uh, we all know Sergio Martino uh, as a Giallo director. Um, I think he has five to his credit uh, in the main kind of uh, time period from 70 to 75. Um, and The Case of the Scorpion's Tale was the second film um, that came after um, what they call The Blade of the Ripper or The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, which I think The Blade of the Ripper, Strange Vice, came out maybe in the very beginning of 1971, and Case of the Scorpion's Tale was later that year. Um, now, for Martino, I have to say that... Um, this is probably his very most traditional giallo um, that he put together. Um, considering um, that his first uh, giallo, which was um, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, really, it's a very classic film. Um, and, and for giallo fans, I think most people probably agree that that's his best one. Um, however, it's a little bit um, unconventional in as much as the way that uh, kind of the kills and the, the amateur detective type stuff is handled. Uh, and then once you get to Your Vice is a Locked Room, that's a kind of a, uh, an adaptation of a Poe film or a Poe story, that is. Um, and then All the Colors of the Dark is more of a, a giallo fantastique. And then, of course, Torso is our hybrid slasher stock and slash uh, film. So Case of Scorpion's Tale is, I think, very, very 
much a traditional giallo uh, in that we've got uh, characters, we've got a, a killer, we've got a detective, we've got um, an amateur detective who's right along with the cops, um, and it stars uh, our good friends George Hilton and Anita Strungeberger. Um, it also stars, I don't know her name, the woman who plays um, the the girl in the beginning of the movie, uh, Lisa Balmer. Is that, is that the is, chick from Knife in the Ice? Knife of yeah, Ice. Yeah, she was in Knife of Ice, right? And she's pretty hot too. Um, in Knife of Ice, she is. In this, she looked a little strange, burger. Well, the, the, the whole kind of beginning of this film is a little odd. Um, and obviously we need to make very special mention of the brilliant visual effects that were used for the plane crash. Uh, in the <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably the one thing that you remember more about this film than anything else is that plane crash. Um, but really this the guy who did that fucking Priest's face sparking. Is it? I'm sure of it. It's got to be. So um, I love them both. The premise is pretty simple. We've got a um, a wife whose husband dies in a plane crash. Um, she just happens to be with her lover when the the plane crashes, um, and she finds out uh, after his death that he had taken out a life insurance policy of a million dollars. She has to go from England to Athens, Greece to um, get the money to get the check. I don't know why in Greece, but that's why. Uh, you know, it's more picturesque um, filming location than England, which mm-hmm. I, was, I was pretty glad about. I, I really liked the filming that Martino did in, um, in England while he was there, or while, while the characters were there, and then um, as they moved into Athens, there was a lot more um, striking kind of uh, landscapes and visuals and whatnot. It's probably because Greece has such a good economy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the irony. As you're watching it today, going, they wouldn't have been able to give her that million dollars today. Wow. Um, <laughs> You'll take a hero instead? A hero and four goats? So, um, what, what's interesting about the film is that our main kind of main character, this Lisa Balmer, who kind of gets involved in this blackmail thing with this heroin addict. We don't really know who he is, but he gets killed off by somebody else. Um, she ends up going to collect, um, and there's something going on with her, and um, I guess the guy's a pilot, right? Um, as odd as that is, the guy that she's messing around with. Um, and then when she gets to Athens, there's a couple of other people that are blackmailing her. I think it's her husband's mistress who says, I deserve some of that money because he never loved you. Um, and then there's this really ugly guy who chases everybody around who looks like half of his face is just it's like, I don't know, like, exactly. He's got a weird dash. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 he doesn't have pockmarks on his face because if you look at it up close, it's smooth, but his cheekbones are just stuck like way up high. And uh, he looks like he's wearing either too much makeup or he had a lot of surgery or something. Um, but anyway, um, so they, they chase her and then we, we get to see George Hilton who is um, Peter, Peter something or other, his name is. Peter Lynch, yes. 
and uh, he's been hired by the insurance company to kind of tail Lisa Balmer to make sure that um, she didn't do anything wrong uh, and that she's not committing any sort of insurance fraud. Um, once she gets the money in cash and is about to make a dash for Tokyo, um, she is killed. And uh, then the second half of the story begins. And so I, uh, I think as I mean, clearly there's a little bit of psycho going on here with the money and uh, trying to get away. And we kill the main character off in the middle of the film. Uh, and then we transition to this giallo part. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the typical giallo kind of steps uh, from one spot to the next to the next really kind of... Um, take take shape after that where we've got a detective who's local we've got an Interpol uh, uh, international cop detective and then we have Peter Lynch who really is kind of the guy who's just either being framed or he's in the wrong place at the wrong time or he's a suspect and he's forced to be the amateur detective um, and then we have uh, Anita Strangeberger who ends up being like the press photographer who they fall in love um, and so there's a lot of suspects and a lot of kind of interesting twists that happen uh, in the film. And um, so uh, that's about as far as I'll go. Like I said, it's a typical setup. I'm not sur sure if it was our go good friend, uh, Mr. Gistaldi, who uh, did some of the screenwriting for that. I can look that up. Um, yeah, he, he did on this one. He did, yeah. So, um, and it... And it kind of feels like a, a Gestaldi film and it definitely feels like a Sergio Martino film. It's you know got the same kind of directing style, um, some of the same characters. We've got Bruno Nicolai who did a great soundtrack. Um, yeah. I was I was really impressed with some of the decisions that Martino made for where to put his camera in this movie. Um, it's a lot of places they just it just seemed like either there there was he was trying to impressed is the right word. Well, I felt like he was trying to kind of give you either hints or kind of throw you off the trail by putting the camera in, in weird places. Um, the one I remember is when um, Lisa Balmer is either getting her money or getting her check. Um, the camera is way in the back and it appears as if it's the point of view of somebody sitting on the couch, like spying on her because there's nobody else in the room. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of overemphasis by Martino in this film that, you know, you, the viewer, are kind of the voyeur and um, you have to play the part of the detective a little bit. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. I like that aspect of the film. I didn't um, like the shot where um, uh, Peter meets the Interpol inspector for the first time and the camera's, like, down low pointing up and they, like, reach their hands over and shake hands and then just hold hands for a minute. Right. And then, you know, I'm like, that is so fucking awkward. Like, it was. And then there was another one where <clears throat> Peter was kind of under the hot light, and I thought that there was something messed up either with my my screen or my screen or something, and then I thought, did Martino not realize his camera was turned sideways when he was filming this? Because I've done that with some home videos before. <laughs> Sideways, I didn't notice. Yeah, 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 right. Like, you know how you, if you turn the camera sideways while you're taking the video, it still looks correct. It looks like yeah. all of a sudden you're taking a portrait instead of a landscape. But then when you watch it on the TV, you have to yeah. do this. 
So I'm like, could they still do that with like, old film cameras? I don't know, because that's what it, it was like. That whole scene was shot that way, and I'm like, okay. So he must. This must have been intentional. So what is he trying to say with this? What is the language of this film right now? And it just didn't make any sense to me at all. Well, that's the question, right? Because so I'll throw that out at the filmmaker, who's um, kind of got his head like this. Um, sometimes you wonder. If... I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that's you're you. talking about me. I didn't yeah. even realize it. Sometimes <laughs> you 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 see these things happen in a film, and you go, okay. They had to make that decision to put the camera in that spot for a reason. Now, is the reason just to be fancy and be different? Or is the reason because they're telling a little bit more of the story visually by the way that they film the scene? And I'm obviously the answer is yes and yes. It depends on the director. Yeah, it depends. Because like on both uh, Miss Ward and um, Bloody Iris, um, obviously Bloody Iris isn't him, but... Both of those movies do that sideways um, shot, and um, like on Bloody Iris, it's like one of my favorites. Actually, it's when she's laying on the carpet, when her and Home Dude are doing the Bone Thug. Yeah, you know, and it just like, but it works really well. Yeah, on that, sense. but. Um, so, I mean, I know that was not necessarily something, I mean, I'm sure it was something that, like, people did a lot of then, like, ooh, let's put this on its side and see, see what happens, but there's happy accidents, you know, there's right. shit that got right. fucked up, and then they're like, oh, wow, that's actually pretty good, let's just keep it, so... So I, I'm thinking the other question I had, and and I watch these films now with a little bit more sensibility towards um, the fashion now that we've been doing these podcasts for a while, but um, the one thing that stood out for me was uh, George Hilton's purple jacket. I don't know if you <laughs> like if you like that or not. I thought that was it, it kind of remind me a little bit of like a Brady Bunch episode, but. Um, it's kind of cool just because he is usually so earth-toned. Right. Like, always wearing, like, brown or tan or um, something like that in every fucking movie. So right. every time you put a little color on him, it's kind of fun. <laughs> and uh, our, our leading lady, uh, Anita Strangeberger, I think she looked really good in this. We've already discussed that her implants are terrible. Yeah. Um, they just yeah. kind of... They look, they look pretty good in that wet shirt. Yeah, they, they look good some... when they're covered. They're much better covered. If you look at her in uh, in Lizard of Woman's skin, where you can just see, like, rib cage, and, you know, there's a giant valley of emptiness between the two of them, you know, in the middle of her chest. Um, but maybe, she maybe looked... She gave the doctor the approval when she was wearing a T-shirt. That could she be. Yeah, she didn't realize what it looked like without a T-shirt. I think that's how it works. But I think she looked good in general in this film. A lot better than she looked in, like, Your Vice. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, she was made to look terrible in that film, so... Uh, I mean, she was probably better looking in this, even, than she was in, uh... Was it Who Saw Her Die? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. But, but again, it, it, maybe that was on purpose, because... She had to play like the the mourning mother in, yeah. in Who Saw Her Die, so I don't know if they, you know, in this film she's just like the kind of bubbly news photographer, 
you know, with the with the poofy hair and um, you know, just wearing just wearing shirts and nothing else, you know, long shirts. But uh, you mentioned Psycho. It's kind of interesting that she didn't show up until like what thirty five minutes in or something like that. Like, yeah. Uh, the heroine of Psycho, so it's kind of like I'm waiting for her, watching this film, I'm waiting for her to show up. This is my first time seeing it, and and then Hilton, he didn't even show up until like 15 or 20 minutes in. So it's, it's yeah. Amazing. For me, the first like, I mean, I understand the pacing and putting the story together, but that first like 10 or 15 minutes, besides that chase down the walkway, uh-huh. that was like fucking, I'm like, what is going on in this movie? Like, what's, I mean, yeah, that plane blew up, so that sparked attention. <laughs> <clears throat> but, um, the, the correlation to Psycho is a, is a really astute point, sir, yeah. but, um... It's a change in point of view throughout, it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there was a confusing part in the beginning, too. She meets that guy... I forget what his name was, like Bruce or Brian or something, and he says, you're going to have to give me more money than that. And so the very next scene, she walks to where his house is. So, like, I originally, from what I remember, she gets on the phone, and after she hears that she's going to go collect this money in Athens, I think she calls her boyfriend and says, I'll meet you at that place where we usually meet. And then she's walking and she runs into the heroin guy. He demands money. And then after that scene is over, she walks into like the slums, it looks like. And I think, I don't know if this was supposed to be done on purpose, but I got the impression that she was going to go see the boyfriend there. And when she gets there, she finds out that, um, that or, or we find out as the viewer, that uh, she's actually going to the same house as the heroin addict's where, where he lives, to give him the rest of the money so that she can get the letter that she sent yeah. him that said something about her relationship with her husband. Um, and when he comes out of the door and he's half dead, it doesn't look like him. It doesn't look like the same guy from the scene before. So that that part, I think, the very first time I saw that confused me. I didn't know <coughs> what was going on. But then right after, um, like, she's being spied on by... Um, that that Kermit the Frog looking guy um, and then after he kills the heroin addict he just kind of lets her go to, to Athens and that, obviously that was because he wanted her to collect the money before he killed her or whatever they had planned to get the money away from her but um, but yeah so I again you know so I mean, you have two killers on your Jello score do I have what two killers on your Jello score yeah Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Yeah, we definitely had Sorry. two killers. We'll the, the, you know what? What really, <clears throat> what really ruined the score for this film was that it didn't take place in Italy. Uh, that was a big one. Um, also, they never did a flashback uh, at the end of the movie to to kind of give you the reveal. They just had um, which they killer. totally could have done because there were so many instances where he. Like, well, are we spoiling it now? Yeah, we might as well. I mean, if we we'll get to we've kind of we've kind of talked about most of the exposition of the film, and then you know the final scenes. Um, I remember, you know, the, this very last time through watching it, um, 
I kind of spaced out when it came to the clue of the scorpion's tail and where it came from and how the Interpol guy figured it out. But basically, uh, it turns out that, um, and this is pretty rare for a giallo, it turns out that our amateur detective is actually the killer. Um, and I thought that that was kind of cool because then you have to go back and say, well, how did they film it so that it, because I don't know if you guys were surprised by who it was um, or if you picked it out. Um, but there was there was a lot of misdirection. I mean, at one point, you know, uh, Cleo, Cleo Dupont is attacked uh, by the quote unquote killer, and he's nowhere to be found. And he actually comes and rescues her. So that threw so much suspicion away from him. Um, if you're watching the movie and considering it to be, you know, a conventional type movie, um, and then he explains everything at the end. But um, I really like the scene where. Um, the first girl gets killed, and he's like at the the, 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 the lobby desk, trying to get yeah. get her. And so, like, he, if you listen to the specifics of the the dialogue, they say something about when she called and to, to say not to be disturbed, and when when she wanted her to, uh, taxi to come, and then she gets killed, and then the next scene is um, David Lynch, not David Lynch. Peter Lynch, <laughs> not David Lynch. Peter Lynch, uh, right in the lobby again. So you're like, okay, well, you know, by by way of editing, you see Peter Lynch, then you see her get killed, and then you see Peter Lynch again. So it can't be him, even though there's no explanation of how much time has passed and what he could have accomplished during those edited scenes. So did did you guys? Um, was it a surprise that it was him, or did you guys figure it out? Well, I think earlier on, I was there was that hint that it could have been um, the first girl's husband, um, yeah. Frank. Was it Frank Balmer? I can't remember his first name, but I, I kind of latched onto that, and I was kind of actually hoping that that was going to be the conclusion. And then when they I got was so the guy with the mustache was actually Frank. Oh yeah, yeah. See, that would have been cool. And then it, it just got a little too heavy-handed in that direction towards the end. That's where they were leaning. Oh, he's the only one left. It has to be the the husband. He faked his death so that he could come back and kill her and take his own insurance money. Some kind of convoluted plot that still kind of made sense to me, and I was hoping for that. But when it started leaning towards that a little too much at the end, I kind of knew that they were gonna pull the old switcheroo, and it would have to either be uh, Peter or some other just guy that showed up for maybe five seconds at the beginning of the movie. The Interpol guy. Because the Interpol guy and um, George Hilton, and I've said this before, but whenever I watch a movie, I always assume that the killer is one of those two. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And um, I'll I'll usually make it out okay, or I won't, you know, but um, I always just automatically think that, but um, this one, I was hoping it was the Interpol guy. Like, when that whole plot came up with the husband, I was like, ooh, that's juicy as shit. Like, I like that. Yeah. But um, but when you go back and you watch it, um, I think the best scene is when he first takes Strangeburger up to his pad, and he makes her a drink, and she's like, are you drugging me? And he's like, oh, I always do, so I could seem more charming. And it's like, yeah, dude, he's drugging her so he could go out and do his business, you know? Right. 
Like, yep. there's so many little clues like that that are just... But he's so charming. <laughs> that he's got his hands all over her. The whole movie. Yeah, he's, he's, he's quite a dog. How could she be so stupid? <laughs> Always goes for the wrong guys. Always. Well, that's what makes the film f- time because... You know, you, you pay more attention to what he says and how he makes faces. Because, I mean, there there's a lot of spots in this film where it looks like he's really playing the part of the detective. Like, he's checking the clues and he's reading the paper and, and uh, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, it, but then if you, if you know it's him and he starts talking about, you know, I, I want to go and sail the world before yeah. I'm too old to enjoy it and... If I had the money, would you come with me and all this other stuff? So, um, all the hints are there. I think that I think it was. I think the the mystery was pretty well, uh, well disguised at least for the first time through. And then, you know, most most and people it, at that particular time weren't going to watch it more than once anyway. So, when he is putting like all the clues together as the amateur detective, he's usually doing that with somebody else with them, right? To kind of take the suspicion off of him yeah I mean I don't recall a, a, a very specific scene where he's doing his amateur sleuthing by himself because that would really just be silly right to have a scene where he's by himself and he's doing research unless you know unless he's doing the research to just be informed the next time he's questioned you know yeah. um, so that he can again try to take uh, suspicion away from himself. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I didn't remember. I think all the time he's, you know, he's, he's usually, someone else is usually around when he's trying to um, make it look like he, uh, you know, is trying to solve the case. So, Hey, real quick, this is totally off topic, but did we do a show on a movie where Carol Baker is in a windmill at the end of the movie? Or was that just a movie I watched? Because I almost got confused a second here. And then I'm like, oh wait, that was Carol Baker in that one movie. It sounds kind of familiar, but I don't think it's the one that we did for the show. We did did Knife Knife of Ice with Carol Baker, but did we do any other Carol Baker films? I seem to remember maybe one other one, but... Hmm. Do you guys feel uh, like the ending of this film is kind of tragic in that if she had just gone away with Peter Lynch, they could have lived happily ever after? It seemed like there was a Yeah, but then the where Interpol he... guy is not going to get any. No. Well, I th- don't you think they would have tracked him down eventually, right? enter his pole yeah. into her. But I mean, if she, if she hadn't gotten nosy and dove into that coral looking to see what he was up to, if she had just kind of hung out with him, and um, I guess he didn't know that they were tracking him, so that's a good point. But it just seems like it's kind of sad that if she, they they could have lived their lives happily if they could have gotten away with it. He he wanted her to be with him. He he wanted it so bad, but then he, he had no other choice but to bash her head into a rock and try to run away and save himself. And it was just kind of I just you know kind of you always. You always say, like, oh, why didn't that bitch just fucking, like, swim back to the boat? Or, like, why didn't she just go here? But, like, that whole chase thing, I was, like, invested in it. 
because yeah. it's like I'm like okay now he's bleeding in the water swim all the way around and go back to the boat and drive the fuck off oh <laughs> now you're climbing up a mountain okay we'll run back around to the other side and swim back to the boat he's gonna be like oh fucking shit you know it's just like you're you're being chased by a guy who doesn't have a gun who's like super badly injured. Yeah. You're gonna be able to outrun him. Don't stop. You know. I do, I do like how he had the harpoon gun at the beginning or earlier on. And I looked at that thing. I said that's gonna be the gun on the wall that you always hear about in stories. It's gonna be used again <laughs> later <laughs> on in the film. And sure enough, right into his gooch. Actually, I don't know. What... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so. Um... Yeah, I mean, is there any interesting background stuff on this? I don't know if it's interesting. I read in um, Troy's book, So Deadly, So Perverse, that if if you did have a problem with some of the pacing, things like that, apparently it was by the time they got done cutting it, they suddenly realized that they had cut too much, and so they added a bunch of stuff back in to, like, pad the the runtime. And then that might have... um, cause some of the pacing issues where you were talking about there's some chase scenes or some really cool murder set pieces in it um, that are kind of cut into by these long procedural scenes and it's too bad because I really found myself enjoying this film, staying with it not getting too lost with it the only part I really got lost was with the steward stewardess storyline um, but I guess that was just there to cast some more doubt, add some more red herrings and then she was, you know, the one that obviously came and showed up with the golden scorpion jewel that right. uh, threw it all onto Peter but that was the only part that, for a first time watch that I was really thrown off by so I thought it was actually pretty tightly constructed and um, I, I enjoyed myself watching it, I, I kind of realized this film more than any got a lot more of J&B's money than <laughs> the last yeah. one I think of yeah, I really like the um, as far as the fashion shit goes. Um, even though, like the first chick who died, the outfit she had on when she got killed was for practicality reasons, so they could do that stab across the stomach. Uh-huh. I liked the top, and then the the mistress of her husband during her chasing through the apartment or whatever, she had on this like kind of purple crushed velvet short dress thing that was really cool. But um, the worst line of the whole movie has got to be um, when the Interpol guy pulls the hatchet out of the door and says, the killers really dropped the battle axe or some fucking... <laughs> He's thrown down the gauntlet. That's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> well, on in the subtitles, I didn't have it dubbed. I had the subtitles. Oh, really? Okay. And it says battle axe, and he holds it, and he's, like, smirking, like, come on, somebody give me some laughter here. This yeah. is a good joke. the laugh track. And button. I was like, oh, you honey bastard. That was awful. Yeah, it was but, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I wish I would have had comic this, relief. Uh, I think this would have been a better movie for me if it was dubbed. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why you don't have a dubbed copy. I think there's one on YouTube, isn't there? Is there? That one's only Italian language. I had to download some subtitles. To oh, really? Oh, okay. 
Yeah, the, I, the copy that I have comes from that DVD that's right down there. Yeah, uh, that's what I was wondering if I was going to ask you, because I'm guessing that's the, the copy they put up on YouTube, because it's actually pretty good quality visual-wise. It looks DVD quality, but it was, yeah, it was totally in Italian, and I guess maybe it was just the, the uploader didn't include the dubbed version or something. Yeah, on this, this is the No Shame um, edition, and um, I would assume it's out of print, but uh, yeah, it, is. it comes with an, an Italian soundtrack as well as an English soundtrack, so... Okay. Um, yeah, so the other thing about this is that I think it has probably one of the most recognizable main themes of any Jalo movie. And um, I learned how to play it on my guitar and completely drove everyone in my building crazy for like <laughs> four hours. It's because it's only four notes like over and over again. <laughs> um, but it also has like one of the best um, like closing credit scores too. Yeah. Like this is just a, like a lot of the soundtrack is like annoying with the like suspense music. It almost gets on your nerves a little too much. But... Right. Um, the opening and the closing is are, oh, they're so good. They're two of my favorites for sure. Yeah, that's it's it's really it's really interesting. Um, that this particular soundtrack, I don't know. Um, I I always I often find myself thinking about how, um, you know, somebody like Ennio Morricone. Who you know? We all know he did. You know his number of film soundtracks is like in the in the triple digits. Like he's done so many of them. But I find it really interesting that these films. You know, we we kind of we look at them and we try to be critical about the way that you know the artistic style of the way that they're made. Um, and that artistic style includes the visual, obviously the set design. And the camera movements and the cinematography, but it also we we always talk about the soundtrack. I I don't know of any other like cult type film where the soundtrack is as is as relevant to the film as in these in in these Jalo films. Or maybe it's just Italian horror slash thriller slash Jolly, or maybe even spaghetti westerns as well. Um, but when you talk about Big like. Car. You know, when you talk about American horror and stuff like that, I mean, slasher films, I mean, nobody really talks that much about the soundtrack because it's usually just mood music. Um, yeah. So I, I was always, I'm always thinking about how, how interesting it is that they, you know, there's a, a decent amount of production going on with these composers who are writing these original pieces and recording them with orchestras and whatnot for these films that were considered to be working class films for people who weren't, really, you know, critics, or they weren't really art-type people. They were just going to the cinema to see a film. Um, and and it's, really, it's really interesting how it's evolved. Um, for this particular uh, soundtrack, it looks like Bruno Nicolai just um, had 20 or 22 or 24 tracks called Sequence 1, Sequence 2, Sequence yeah. 3. Um, whereas a lot of the other soundtracks for Jolly have names to the to the tracks and maybe there's somewhere between eight he just got tired. 
eight and fifteen or eight and twelve tracks, um, and they don't have any more. But he did a lot of, you know, you take the same kind of theme and you make a variation of it and maybe change its tempo or add a different instrument to it or whatever, um, and then it it kind of becomes a, a new version. And you don't know like how many of the tracks that are on the actual soundtrack were used in the film. Some of them are included because they were written for the film, but they weren't actually in the movie. But, um, yeah, but we weren't, I mean, I wasn't able to find anywhere where this soundtrack is still um, available. I don't know if it was ever released as an LP on vinyl or something, or if it was ever on CD. Um, there's, there's clips of it on YouTube, so somebody must have had it from somewhere. Uh, I have a copy of it, but... But I've never seen like what what the cover of the soundtrack looks like. I don't know if it's, you know, the the poster for the movie or if it's some other I kind think, of. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was a part of another one too. Oh, okay. Like it was like, like, like a double disc thing. Right. But I got it from my friend Nefarious Means, so I don't know where he got it. Right. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point about it. You just have to wonder if yeah, if they just take a lot of pride in their work and don't regard these films as being kind of the trashy, sleazy films that they are. I mean, it didn't seem like they really even started out that way. Um, some did have a lot of class and were made really well. And they just kind of kept with it, and you can't really compare that to anything in, in America. The only thing that comes close, really, I guess, to me is John Carpenter, who... Had some hits or misses in his career, but for the most part, his music is sometimes supersedes his films. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. I agree. Yeah, yeah that's um, a good point. Obviously, that that's a good point, especially you know um, the Halloween soundtrack for sure. But um, what um, I can't remember if the other. John Carpenter film soundtracks made a big because I know he composed them himself, right? Yeah. I don't know if a lot of the other ones made a big impact on me. Like I don't remember the thing or the fog or uh, I do remember Halloween though. I mean, clearly. You, you... Assault on Precinct Thirteen is awesome, like the original. Yeah. Um, I totally when I made that shit movie, OC Babes in the Slasher is Zombie Town. I completely ripped that huh. score off. And. Yeah, he's, he's got a new album out actually called Lost Themes, which aren't actually themes from many of his films, but if you listen to it, it's just crazy how he's able to mimic those 80s soundtracks. It's really cool, kind of cool. Um, so if you want to track that down on like Spotify or something. Huh, that's cool. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of good instrumental synth, spooky music. Nice. Okay, yeah. So um, for me, I... Oh, you guys do that. What was that? I was just saying it'd be kind of cool to see like a, a an Italian composer harken back to these old soundtracks and release like a unreleased album of music or something. Oh, you know they got some. Yeah, you know, like Tarantino is always like lifting these some of these soundtracks for his movies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and like I think in Kill Bill there was a couple. Um, of, of songs from Giallo or from Spaghetti Westerns that he put in his films. Well, Django, obviously. Yeah. 
there's a couple, um, I believe, um, Lindsay movies that I have that um, recycle some of Nicole's stuff that I've heard in other shit. Hmm. But we'll get to that when we cross those bridges because now I have no recollection of what they are. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But um, as far as this movie goes, I was not a fan of the following the main chick, having her die, and then having another main chick show up. Like, that was probably the only uh, part for me. But, um,. I don't think this movie is necessarily super memorable, but it's definitely a good watch. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have to agree. I, I don't think, I mean, in comparing this film to all the other Martinos, I think you're right. As far as its memorability is concerned, I remember the other films um, partly because some of them were bad, in certain aspects, and that's what made them memorable, um, or just not necessarily bad, but just different or unconventional. Whereas this one is, it's pretty straightforward. Like um, I think Strange Vice is my favorite of the Martino Jolly, um, yeah. and then when you talk about um, all the colors and your vice, and then um, or so, and th so those two kind of. They, they kind of identify themselves equally as unique because of the way that they've treated the subject matter. Um, Your Vice is really more of an emotional kind of a thriller than a, than a classic jolly and then, um, or a classic giallo. And then All the Colors has got that kind of satanic, is it a nightmare, is it really happening, psychological thing. Um, and then Torso, I mean, some people would say that you know, Torso is Martino's best film, uh, as far as Jolly are concerned, but um, it's different. It has a different, I think it was a different producer. It was, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, when, it, when that was put out, I think 73, so a couple of years or two or three years after he'd done all these films and probably wanted to make something different. Um, it's just that this one's so, like, no frills, middle of the road, right. shallow. Yeah, you know, it like a there's little, a little more sleaze, a little more Edwidge. Yeah, be a lot more memorable. Oh, oh, oh man! But I think telling? that's probably you know you could probably argue that that's too that trait is to its benefit depending on what it is you're looking for, um, because you can throw this film on and you know maybe if you have an, a little bit of an issue with the beginning, of uh, it being a little slow or a little confusing, but otherwise, um, it's kind of. Uh, you can probably assume that you know most people are going to appreciate it for it being a giallo in the sense of what is a standard typical giallo. So it's kind of like you know if you wanted to introduce people to the genre, um, I would introduce my mom to the genre with this movie, but that's it. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I like the mystery aspect of it. Um, if it just needed to have a little more of that like we said it kind of jumped around to different locales if it was had mostly Italy in it a little more sleaze it might be up there or Tokyo fuck if they would have shot this movie in Tokyo oh yeah that would have been ridiculous dude. <laughs> awesome. I like that 
That would have been. It would. I mean, is there a Jalo in Tokyo? We'll find it. If there is, we'll find it. Um, but I would just. I, I would. I would think it would. I would be hard pressed to find anyone who would say that this is their favorite Jalo. So right. if there is anybody out there, and you guys are like, "Why are you being so mean to this awesome movie?" Um, let us know. I would love to hear if this is someone's fave. Yeah. Well, here's my question. Um, taking out Strange Vice, which doesn't count. We haven't we haven't um, covered it yet, but I think Creep and I have both seen it. I don't know, Eric, if you've seen it. Um, taking that one out, taking out Torso, um, the middle three, which one is your favorite? Between Case of the Scorpion's Tail, uh, um, All the Colors of the Dark, and um, Your Vice. Like, which one would be your next? Ugh. I mean, I'm assuming uh, that I'm assuming that the two I'm taking out are everyone's preference over the other three, but maybe that's not a good. I assumption. would say all the colors of the dark, just because Edwidge looks great in it. But she does. Um, that's like a very shallow thing for me to say, but it's the truth. Like, yeah, I guess that would be it. Good fucking god, that's awful. Shallow, jello. Yeah. I would I would go with the voters on our poll who all picked this movie in a landslide victory. I think that I enjoyed myself the most to this film, which is I know a tragedy to a lot of people because it's it's got more Strange Burger in it than his other films. But I don't know. Yeah. I dug this one for some. Well, Edwidge is in all the other ones except for Torso, right? So yeah. So that I mean, if 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 they if they had taken and used Edwidge in in the Anita Strangeburger role, this would have definitely floated to the top. I would think. But he would need to be in the movie the whole time. Yeah. Like popping her in halfway through and saying, "Oh yeah, by the way, solve this fucking crime." Yeah. I was thinking if she was the first girl, would you guys have been okay with that getting killed off? Uh, she's that's happened to her a couple times. Well, that happened to. Uh, to Butthole Face too in that other movie right where she got uh-huh. killed halfway through in uh, yeah. Death, Death Walks in High Heels yeah man these are all really good questions that are going to keep me up tonight <laughs> <laughs> I don't know th- I don't know if I can answer it myself I tend to I tend to lean towards Case of the Scorpion's Tale as my third favorite Martino film but then again um, if I were to go back and watch Your Vice, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in that film, um, and Edwidge is in it, um, uh, and our Louis, what is it, P- Pistilli, that guy who plays the detective in this film, he's uh, in it. actually wasn't a dumbass. Yeah, he was. You know, it, it's, at one point in the film, he puts the last piece of the puzzle together, right? And in in, uh, in case of, in in this film, yeah. And it's a metaphor for him putting together the puzzle. Right. He figured it out. <laughs> so I don't know. We've only got um, one uh, Martino film left, and it's the it's probably the best one. And Al's Al, episode of the show. By the way, Al is talking about how um, Edwidge did a lot of sex comedies with Sergio Martino. So maybe we yeah, should. Yeah, I need to start actually digging into those. But I, I'm having a hard time finding those in English. But they're fun to watch with her romping around. Is that one? That I don't has, think they were um, exported. I don't. 
I don't think those films were exported for English anyway. I think they were like really you know the culturally. One has um, the bathing suit that's just like sunflowers on her nipples. Like there's no actual top. Have mm-hmm. you seen that? I had the. Oh, good I've seen Lord. that picture. Yeah, most definitely. Yummers. Anyway, there's a, there's so a film the... that she did for. Oh, I don't know if it was Martino called "Secrets of a Call Girl" or something. I haven't seen that either. But I don't think, I mean, maybe Al would know this better than us. I don't think that those films at that particular time were in demand in an international sense. I think they were real specific to the Italian culture. And so that's probably why you're never going to find those films with a dubbed English soundtrack. But I could be wrong. That's a complete guess because I've never watched any of them. So, Al, we need you to dub all of them. And I need you to do all the voices. There you go. <laughs> Do a really sexy Edwidge voice, and then that would be awesome. So, what movie's next? Is it Death Laid an Egg or is it Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye? It depends on when we close the poll. I'm guessing we did that in the last episode. I can't even find the poll. Does anybody know how to find yeah. it? Um, you just search. You yeah, scroll down. If we if we closed it last week, then it's Death Laid an Egg. But if we left it open, it's tied. Well, why don't we just take whatever it is now, if somebody could find it. <laughs> fucking find it. Christ. Yeah. It's a terrible thing that we have so much activity on this. Uh... <laughs> is that what it is? While I'm scrolling, um, another, sh- uh... another shout really quickly to the Grindhouse channel on Roku. Uh, for those people who have a Roku or have some other way to access that channel. I was amazed at how many Jolly I found on that channel. Are they dubbed or subtitled? Um, I don't know. I didn't actually go into them, but the ones that I did... Um, the ones I did start, like, um, most of the ones that are on there, I think, are, are dubbed English. But I'm not sure. I found nice. the poll. <gasps> So, Keys of the Scorpion's Tail got 13 votes. Uh, Death Laden Egg got 7. And 7 Deaths in a Cat's Eye got 5. Woo! So, Death Laden Egg is next. I'll win you Death people Laden over one day. day. <laughs> you guys are going to hate me after we watch this movie. <laughs> um, Al says they've been released in France and Germany with dubs, but I don't know about England. Okay, we're going to have to get to the bottom of this. Let's put on our amateur detective caps. Maybe this will be one way we can give away a DVD. We'll talk about that off the show, and we'll figure out some cool shit. Because, no, no, I'm not not coming down on you, sir. Um, I think it's great that Chris came up with that idea. That's awesome. I I have stuff here I can give away. I have a half a pack of decongestant. Is that the good stuff? Is that the stuff you can make meth out of? Uh, We don't have that here anymore, dude. It sucks. You you can't even get it behind the counter with a driver's license? No. It has to be prescribed. Oh, wow. That's what's weird about California. You can't go and buy a normal dose of pseudoephedrine without a prescription, but you can go buy pot. And on every, every street corner. On every corner. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. It's pot's the cure-all. <sighs> it no, is, it's though. not. 
<laughs> I'm like having horrible sinus issues at the moment, and chain smoking only helps a little bit. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, next time we're gonna do Death Laid an Egg. There's a super cute girl in it, and some weird chicken stuff in it, <laughs> and a bunch of crap. So, um, you guys are all like a gonna John hate Waters movie. Yeah, not that's to mention, what it feels like. And not to mention a crazy soundtrack. The soundtrack oh, in the dude. Out, out, the, out the door. It's crazy. Like, I love really shitty movies, obviously. <laughs> and I'm not saying this is a shitty movie, but it's one of those movies that you're like, I can't believe somebody gave you money to go out and do this movie. And this is what happened. And this is what so you came back fun. with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they greenlit it with Death Light and Eggs, so they must have known what was going to come. Oh, well, what's the date on so that? Is it like '68 or '67 or yeah, something? Yeah, it's, it's late '60s. Yeah. Oh. So I mean, everybody was high or tripping. So it really they they were like, "Yeah, man, here, take the camera." And I think that you know you'll when you watch this, if you're a fan of any of that French New Wave stuff, um, you'll see how much it was influenced by that. Um, I can't remember if this is it or not, but there's actually some locations in this movie that were used in the fifth chord. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So that should be fun for those who like pointing out locations and saying, Aha! This looks familiar! Um, <clears throat> the fifth yes. chord is one of my favorite films, and it's because of the locations. So... There you and have. you got a Franco Nero hard on, which is fine. Dude, I was totally thinking, wouldn't it be cool if Death laid an egg, man? <laughs> yeah, right. What would cool. happen if Death laid an egg? Oh my gosh, I have the title for Bill and Ted's Part 3. <laughs> Death laid an egg, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent, dude. Righto. I think Death laid an egg. Oh boy. You know, you don't look as, like, posh as you do, like, Kiefer Sutherland in Dark City. <laughs> like, kind of scary. <laughs> well, that's well listen, I gotta go uh, dive. I gotta go dive for my money. Yeah. Uh, I left you it under a rock. <laughs> yeah. Alright, guys. I gotta go do other stuff. It's... Wow. You have to go think about why the, the only reason out. you like uh, all the colors of the dark is because of Edwidge. You have to you have to ponder that for a while. Oh, I just wanted to show you guys my George. I think I'm gonna glasses. watch it with no sound. You understand? <laughs> oh my gosh, you look so amazing. Before I'm gonna read anything, put these babies on. <laughs> all right. You gotta sign your name here. Well, let me put on my glasses first. I don't want to sign someone else's name. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> I don't want to sign on the wrong dotted line. Alright. Well, until next time, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Hola. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Goodbye. Goodbye. I finally looked at the camera. Yay.
c'era un gran buio dentro di me, qualcosa di mostruoso che mi costringeva ad agire, agire in fretta. Incubo, o era assurda. 